movies. But you know what? The life that I was living was such a distraction from where I truly wanted to be. You remember mm. we started this entire conversation talking about purpose, yep. talking about impact. I spent a whole year doing things that have nothing to do with purpose. And that's why when I'm working with clients and they say like, host, Jovan J. Palmer. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of Living Blessed, the podcast. I'm your host, Jovan J. Palmer. And as always, we have dope people coming on the podcast to share special and vulnerable moments. I got Akila on right now. What's up, what's up, I'm what's excited up? about this conversation. I'm sure you are. <laughs> <laughs> Not in that manner. It's just like the fact that you just said, when you said, I'm ready, that okay. made me excited because like, you know, what I do isn't a comfortable place for a lot of people. Yeah. And I don't force anybody. So nothing's going to be forced, I promise. Okay. I know we have anything scripted beforehand. I'll let you know nothing's going to be forced. It's going to be a natural conversation, how we talk, and we always see each other, and we just talk. Okay. That's all we're going to do. going to talk it out. You're going to tell me what you need to tell me. I'm going to ask a few questions, of course, what you got to tell me. That's it. So this is going to be a safe. It's a safe space. It's a comfortable space, like you already said. So we're good. Okay? Let's go. All right. So introduce yourself. Let people know who you are and all the good jazz. And slide up a little more. Um, so my name is Akila. I'm a financial consultant, a, fa a financial literacy consultant. And um, I'm here in Atlanta. So I'm nervous. Don't be nervous. Don't be nervous. You Take a deep breath. Close your eyes. Breathe I should have did like a handstand or something. I mean, if you want to, you can right now. Look, <laughs> <laughs> start over. No. no, so my name is Akila um, Shabazz. Um, I reside here in Atlanta via Chicago, and I'm a financial literacy consultant. And um, I've been here for the past two years, and I'm on my journey to be great. Love it, love it. What brought you to Atlanta? So I ended up here in Atlanta for a fresh start. Um, mm -hmm. Started out in business as a short-term rental um, person and I lost everything. So with that, of course, when people lose everything, they tend to be introduced to their other selves, mm -hmm. right? That's exactly what ha happened to me. So I'm like, what's next? Did not know what was next, but I knew my next best step forward would be to get out of the situation I was in mm. and here into Atlanta. Got you. So you said you lost everything. Everything. Like what's like, cause you were in the short term rental space. So I was someone that had never ever had financial issues at all. So to just take you back, I went to college, went to go live the American dream, uh -huh. um, network analyst for a lot of years, made pretty great money. What's and a network analyst? So a network analyst is someone I'll tell you the space I was in, in mobile phones. Okay, so okay. So in the cellular phone industry. Got you. Okay, okay, okay. So on the back end, we would just monitor all the cell towers at mm -hmm. the time, um, the whole infrastructure, and we'll analyze everything that needed to be done, update softwares, and do like triage to anything that was going on in the cell towers themselves. Mm -hmm. Or we can be placed on special projects and do other vaccine things gotcha. that allowed the cellular phone system to run smoothly. Got it. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, so I did that for many, many years, right? Um, 2007 came, got laid off, took that severance pay from that company, purchased a property, so I did a house hack. House hacked, which led me into um, um, real estate. Mm -hmm. Why am I so nervous? Because I, I know you're about to get deep. It's, listen, we're going to go as far as you let me go. Okay, That's all. Okay. 
I promise y'all, those who are listening who can't see, I'm not that guy that she's painting me to be right now. Okay. All right. <laughs> just listen, Akila. How many times have we we talk every week? Okay, so it's just you and me. You, it's just you it's and just me. You and I. Forget the cameras are here. They you aren't see here. me at my most vulnerable moment last week. I did, and I appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you for reminding me of that. If you can do that, and that's why I'm here, so mm -hmm. I can free myself as well. So, yeah, so I um, eventually ended up getting into the real estate space, right? Um, being a landlord for so many years, it quite naturally I just led me into the short-term rental space. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, my God, this is so great. This is the greatest discovery ever because my first rental, I literally got $84,000 that year. And what? I was, like, in shock. I, that, that was my face. That was my thought exactly. I'm like, 84000 profit? In, in one property, yes, but I had a dope condo, right? I had a corner unit, Where twenty Chicago, oh. and we were charging three to four hundred a night. It was the greatest discovery I had. That's when I knew that was I it. would never ever go back to corporate America. So did you make more? I did. So I was like, how do I duplicate this? Found myself a mentor. I went bunkers, Jovan. So someone who had worked all her life. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, you make $84,000 on your own efforts. And you're thinking like, if I get 10 of these, right? It's over with. <laughs> it was over with. Because I went bunkers. I literally scaled. I, I got a second one, and then uh -huh. I had two for like two years. But after that, I got a mentor, and I scaled to 14 units in a year. I like literally Chicago. lost my mind. No, two units were actually in California. So I'm sure you were charging even a lot more in California. No. No? Um, California is like, even my mentor was from California. When I told him, showed him my back end, he was like, what? I was like, yeah, we charge $350,400 a night in Chicago. He was like, I was downtown. I was like literally ah, downtown Chicago. So you know, heart of everything. Yes, literally across the street from a huge conference center. So that was my target. I stayed oh. packed. Like, literally, you can leave my, like, these people and these men, they would come and do conferences and stay for weeks on end. And, and everything was paid by their companies. I used to get gifts. It, it was amazing. That was the life, right? Oh, for sure. <laughs> Until it all came burning because I did not listen to my mentor at all. Mm. And every time I tell this story, I get new insight. I was just chasing the money, the bottom line. I just literally had lost my mind. Mm -hmm. I knew better not to scale that way. So as soon as I scaled up to 14 units. Your chip bag is mad loud. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead, sorry. She's hungry. Like You can go ahead and eat them. It's like, just toss me in your mouth. <laughs> so um, guess what happens? What's that? A four-month drought. Now, I had been in business for like over four years at this point. Mm -hmm. Never, ever have you go, like, I was never nothing. not booked. So clearly something was going on, right? Like, like literally, like the majority. So I used to do um, short-term rentals. So I truly had a short-term rental business. Mm -hmm. So I had, like, half of my portfolio was rented out by long-term corporate renters and stuff like that, people in IT, traveling nurses and things of that nature. I had contracts, like, set up for, like, a year or six months. So I was okay there. But then the other half was, like, Airbnb. 
literally like four of those units, only the two units that had the best views booked out. Then I had one apartment complex where I had four apartments in there, didn't have great views, but it was a beautiful apartment. Mm -hmm. Literally went like four months straight without them being rented. And that's when my face was looking like yours. Like, oh, can we curse? Mm, kind of. Oh, crap. I didn't know what to do, right? Um, And I was ashamed to go to my mentor because I didn't do what he told me to do in the first place. Which was what? I was supposed to scale and allow the business to pay for itself. Got you. But what I did, and I will advise anyone in business to never, ever do this, Mm -hmm. I got a merchant loan. What's that? Um, A merchant loan is when they can look at your back end and they'll see how much money... Airbnb, oh, the cash flow is coming yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. I'm getting five, six thousand dollar days. Mm. Right? I'm rich. What? Yeah. Think about it. Do the math. If I'm I'm getting three fifty plus an apartment, and I got six of them, do the math. Dang. That's Airbnb only, and then you got the corporate rentals where you're charging thirty five hundred to forty five hundred a month, and you get those checks up front. So see, it sounds great, right? So those checks, half of my portfolio, I had the check already. It was probably spent because you can look at Airbnb and see Mm. your future comings. And then me being in the industry for a while, I kind of knew the trends. Our slow season was from December to February. Mm -hmm. Everything else was popping. So for mid-spring to go dry... Um, it wasn't just me, though, come to find out, right? I thought it was just me. So um, come to find out, I started reaching out to other because I was part of a community. I'm like, what's going on? It's the entire Chicago land area. They're like, we really don't know. So we kind of like started to do some like investigation, and I ran across an article. It was this company called Sunders. They had came out, and they were buying, like, like for instance, on Canal Street. I've never been to New Orleans, but in the article, they bought, like, a 100-something-plus unit right on Canal Street in New Orleans. Like, they were massive. They were going to the hottest places. Chicago was their target. They had two huge, large communities in Chicago, like 60-unit, probably, like, many hotels. But they decked them out with, like, rooftops and views and and they also lowered the price. So no longer uh, 350 160 Dang, of course they're going to go for 160 And we literally went dry. And the view, because Chicago, when are you going to see a view like that again? Mm. So that's exactly what happened. Wow. I've never been to Chicago. Oh, you have to come. I want to go so bad. You got to come with me. You want to go to the Taste of Chicago? What's that? When is that? That's in July. Let's go. Let's do it. I'm so serious. Y'all I'm, I'm serious. I'm serious. I like to eat. Okay. Y'all down? All right, let's go. Let's go. Let's do it. All right. It's set. Okay. All July. right. I'm in there. With July what? It's, <laughs> it, it, we used to have it the week of the 4th of July, and then they switched it, so oh, it's good. after. Okay, perfect. I gotta, it's I after. I want to say, um, yeah, it's after. Okay. So we're going to eat ourselves into a coma. And you know, you probably don't I've know Chicago has good food. That's what I've heard. Oh, my God. Like I heard that the Heralds down here is no comparison to the Heralds up there. Actually, I'm going to say this Heralds down here did pretty good. So my friend... Did pretty good. Used to be a friend, kind of, sort of, whatever. She, I don't know where we are. She was like, yeah, this ain't it. 
It's okay. Okay. It worked. It worked for me. Okay. It yeah. worked for you then. Yeah. You're a native. <laughs> I am. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. <laughs> so, the last name Shabazz. Yes. Where does that come from? That came from my mom's husband. Mm -hmm. So, when I was 11, my mother married her husband and adopted the Muslim faith. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I took on his last name. She changed my name altogether. Really? Yes. What's your, so you, my biological name. is not your biological name. It, well, it is. Okay. My birth name was Monique. So at birth, you were given Monique. Yeah. I wish she would have kept my social security card. Oh. <laughs> it just got me a whole new social security number. It could have been two of me. Oh, okay. Could have been running all sorts of plays right. out here in these streets. <laughs> <laughs> Tricking folks for real. I'm Monique, I'm Akila. Which one you going to get? Yeah, yeah. So your mom changed your name from Monique to Akila. Yeah. At what age? Um, 11. 11. How did you feel about that? I hated it. I resented it. Um, I really, really resented it. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, when you, you become an adult and you can look back and you can appreciate everything that had happened, yeah. right? Prior to my mom, um, and I'm just going to put it out here because we're just going to get the, to the sauce. I mean, if you want to go that far, that quick, okay. It's only been 12 minutes, but... Because I, I can't say what I'm about to say and skip over that part. Okay, okay. Okay, so, yeah, my mom used to be addicted to crack, right? Mm. So she ended up marrying her drug dealer. Really? Yes. So in honesty, what I thought was a tragedy was actually a blessing because he got us out of the environment we were in. Ah. Yeah, and okay. she adopted the Muslim faith, um, cleaned herself up. And it actually was a blessing, but in my 11-year-old mind, um, here it is, I'm, I'm leaving a place with no structure, no religion, because my mom's side of the family had no religion. Like, mm. we were not a group or a family that would go to church or anything like that. So here it is, I have no structure, no rules. I'm free to do, I wasn't free to do anything I wanted to do, right? But to go into an environment that's strict, rigid, and we're going to religious um, events, and then he had a high position, and so we had to look and be a certain way. And then on top of that, he was a drug dealer. Yeah, I'm confused. I know. It's very, it's extremely confusing. Please don't come after me, Muslim people. I'm Please sorry. Don't. <laughs> yeah. You're not mentioning no names or anything. Yeah, yeah. I'll, make sure I I'll don't do that. But yeah. I have a lot of respect for the Muslim community. Yeah. A lot, especially for the men. Because them yeah. just some solid brothers. Like, yeah. Just how they walk, how they roll. It's clean cut. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I, I get it. Have you ever had bean pie? So I had one, right? It's good. But I heard the one I had one all that. I gave it to my homeboy, too. Yeah. I bought it because I was on Old National. And they'd be out there selling <laughs> yeah. the fruit and the paper. I copped one one day. <laughs> it's, yeah, I was, I was out in the street. And I was like, hey. <laughs> So, I mean, it was good to me. I didn't like it. It's good. Yeah, it was good. It was, it was like, I didn't know good. what to expect, but it was yeah. good. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. <clears throat> yeah, so she, you know, she ended up marrying him. Mm -hmm. um, so his brother was like the number two guy in the organization. I'm not going to say to whom. Um, but yeah, and so my stepfather was right underneath that. So, you know, their belief is not to work for, is to be yeah. independent and not Correct. work for the white man. 
Um, but what was really confusing, and I'm glad you picked up on that, that, that really kind of sort of screwed me up. So here it is, we're preaching, you know, um, about saving the black community and doing all these things, but we're poisoning them. Mm. I did not get that. So I didn't accept the religion, even though I was 11 and 12 years Mm -hmm. old. I just felt in my soul that something wasn't right. So I was just defiant when it came to that part. So when you say you you were defiant, were you just like all the way rebellious as in, I'm not going to the mosque, I'm not going, anything that we have going on that has to do with the Muslim faith, faith, I'm not doing it. I didn't have the option to not go, Mm -hmm. right? But I didn't participate. Like I was there, but I I was angry, you know, and just upset, right? Um, and it led to other things. I joined a gang. It was crazy. Really? I know. I know. Akila. Yeah. You were gang banging. I was a gang member. I low key can see you as a gang member. You can. I, yeah, <laughs> like I can low key see a little bit out here in these streets. Yeah. Let's, so let's talk about gang life. Oh. Don't mention any like affiliations. Uh, is there, I think there are dismember. I mean, what do you, you want to call dismembered? it? Dismembered. Yeah, dismembered. Yeah, really? I don't even think there. I thought gangs just like lived in, on. Yeah. So it wasn't like a, a B or a C. I was a black P-Stone. A what? Yeah, people in Chicago would know what that is. Oh, so that's a local And I know game. they're going to be dying laughing. <laughs> yeah, and when I say it, I don't know if you ever heard of like Jeff Ford. Like it was like a spinoff or something like that from him. Yeah, it's a Chicago thing maybe. They're okay, local. I'm, li- I'm listening. Because everyone knows Larry Hoover, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. Yeah, so it's opposition. Huh. Um, no, not these. Don't come get. Don't come for me. <laughs> I was a kid. I was like thirteen. It was. Uh-huh. It didn't get deep. Um, it actually ended. Um, I was in like seventh grade to eighth grade, and we did some stuff and went in some girl's house and jumped her. And I did sixty days in juvie, in juvenile. I sure did. And my gang days were over. Yes. I know. Look at your face. What led you to want to join a gang? Like, was it like you want to be accepted or was it like the rebellious side of you saying, you know, we, the Muslim faith says we got to be about this. So I'm going to be about that. My younger self, I, cause you have to think, right. I didn't fully understand what it meant to be in a gang. Mm-hmm. Um, I just felt like he wasn't my family and the things that they were forcing me to do I needed to find a new family sort gotcha. of deal. That makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. And it kind of like, they were like, oh, we're a family. And we were just a bunch of young girls. Yeah, we didn't do anything violent, to be honest. Uh, Thank God. Because I could have. But one thing I can say, mm-hmm. they were like doing drugs and stuff back then. The, the, the girls in, the, in the group, like popping pills. And, and, and it was something called like what we call wiki stick in That's Chicago. Right. Abominant fluid. Um, marijuana dipped into a bomb. Yeah, that was like killing people. Yeah, yeah. They were smoking that young 13, 14-year-old girls, but me having a previously addicted, crack-addicted parent, and I didn't think that the Muslim faith was was affecting me, but it actually was because they were instilling in us how to not do drugs, not to do anything. So all the adults in my immediate life were sober. Mm -hmm. So I did adopt that part. And still to this day, like, I don't, I haven't, I'll go like years without drinking alcohol and I'm, I'm on that right now. So I think part of that is part of my belief system to be honest as thank God, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. a lot of those girls didn't turn out well. 
I bet. Yeah, addicted and just, yeah. Wow. You can imagine. Yeah, yeah, for 11, sure. 11, 12, 13 year, like years old hooked, doing that's drugs. That, that, that's that very, like, vulnerable part of life for girls and boys. Yeah. Like, you're trying to find your way. You're trying to find your, you're a teen now. You went from preteen to teenager. Yeah. You're trying to find your way. So it's like you're very curious, and it's just somebody puts something in your face or they dangle in your face, and some, nobody's telling you don't do it. Of course you're going to try it. Well, let me say this, too. My mom... I don't know if your parent or anyone's parent ever did this, but my mom, she literally gave me a scenario on how to say no to drugs and how not to be molested. Mm. Yep. When I was four years old, she took me into the bathroom and she was saying, like, you're a big girl now, right? She was like, if anyone touch here or here, that's not normal. They should not. You don't need anyone to help you go to the restroom. That is called the grown folks. And I'm going to share what happened one time. It was me and my cousin, Mm -hmm. a family friend. Like, I realized how quickly something like that can happen. So the adults were like, we had a two-level house at the time, right? This is before my mom was addicted to crack. So I had to be, I I cannot remember how far back it was, but I had to be about five. I was really, really young. And I have a cousin, we're literally like a day apart. And all the adults, all the kids used to sleep on the second level. So the adults were downstairs on the weekend doing whatever they do. And a family friend who lived on the block that we lived on snuck upstairs and it was just me and my cousin. We had to be about five. She don't even remember it. But he knows I remember it because Mm -hmm. he started coming around a family and I mentioned it to him. Um, So anyways... He acted as though he had candy in his pocket. And my four-year-old, five-year-old mind, when my mom gave me that prep talk, was like, anyone touch you here or here, or they ask you to touch them here or here, that's not right. You come tell me immediately, they will try to threaten you and say they will harm you, but that's not true. It's just a threat. So at the time, you don't know what it is. And that prep talk saved me. Because wow. he was telling us that candy was in his pocket, but it was literally his penis. He had us going in his pocket. And then all of a sudden, he had me on one lap and my cousin on another lap, because we're little girls. Mm-hmm. And he was laid back on the bed. And he was like, hey, you want the candy? You have to get it. And I jumped up, like, after so long. I was like, well, give it here or whatever. And then he was telling me, prompting me to go under his pants. And that's when it clicked. I said, no, that's not candy. That's the grown folks. And I ran wow. down the stairs and I got my family. Yeah. And that man ended up going to jail for many, many years for molesting other children. Yes, he should have. For many years. And then when he got out of jail, when I was an adult, I had to be like, in my 30s, he went for many years. They said that he molested like a four-year-old little girl. Yeah, and um, he started coming around our family again. And it was as though they forgot. Mm. <clears throat> so what are you feeling in this moment as he's coming around? I say, um, first I go to my, because I came to a family function. And he was there. And I was like, you know, like, where did he come from? Right? And I went to my aunt. And I was like, do y'all realize? Do y'all remember? Mm-hmm. Like, what's going on? Like, why is he here and why is he around these children? Right. And y'all know what he just got out of jail for. 
because I had another family member that was in jail with him. Mm-hmm. Right. That's how he kind of stayed top of mind. Oh. So it's not like he, so he I saw him at four and then he reappeared. He was still connected to the family. Through exactly. The, and my mm-hmm. grandmother's house was still on that block. So we knew his family. So that memory of him and that experience of him was top of mind. And for him to appear, everyone, I, I don't I don't get that. But it was like it was no big deal. It's just like he's just part of the family, you know, just who he is. Exactly. I don't know why they thought that was okay. So recalling this memory that you've had, of course, going back to four years old, how are you feeling as a four-year-old, if you can recall that feeling of when he said, you know, go inside of my pants and, you know, you're running to your family to say, hey, this is what this guy's doing. And are they doing something about it? Or, you know, it's my jumping. Yeah, like, what's my what's uncles, going on? My uncle that ended up being in penitentiary with him, <laughs> him and my uncle and some of his friends, they caught him and jumped him. Mm. Yeah. And he was barred from the house. Okay. Yeah. At, at four, what were you feeling, though? I cannot remember. I, remember. I just remember that part vividly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I just remember, like, I, I didn't understand the impact mm-hmm. or I, I didn't even understand what sex was. All I understood what your mom told was you. the rule my mom gave me. She was like, never allow anyone to help you go to the bed. My mom, come to think about it, I guess she was just that type of person because she protected me from drugs. Yeah. She, she gave me that speech. I was an only child with her for many, many years. Mm-hmm. Well, up until I was 11. So it was just like me and my mom. We mm-hmm. were like really close. We used to have tea parties. Well, at least I thought. <laughs> she used to give me um, herbal teas to make me go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> and we had a tea set. <laughs> Isn't my mom great? <laughs> she be like, da, 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 da. Knocking you she out. She bought me a whole tea set, right, uh, Javon? And we would have the little, you know, the blanket out, little special yeah. chinas uh-huh. and little teas with my dolls. And I'll go to sleep and wake up, and she'll be out all night. And then she'll wake up, and I was like, where did you go? And she'll have makeup on. Uh-huh. She was like, nowhere. I've been here sleep with you all night. And you believe like, it? No. I was okay. like, you went out. You have makeup on. She was like, I promise. I've been. She'll, like, sneak her pajamas back on. <laughs> my mom was a trip. But, yeah, that was before she got addicted to crack. Mm-hmm. So that was one speech she gave me. And then Shout I could read. I know. Shout out to your mom. I, I know. I just felt that right here because that could have went very differently Absolutely. for me. Absolutely, yeah. That could have went very, very differently for me. And I can remember after she was cleaned up from drugs, she gave me the speech about drugs. I had mm. to be about 12. And that's the main primary reason why I'm sitting here with you that I never tried it. She was like, people like to give you drugs on your birthday. Is everyone celebrating? Mm, They're having yeah. fun. Hey, girl, try this. And she told me the story. She said when she said, because my mom used to, you know, she was pretty, pretty girl. And my dad, you know, all of them was like high baller, roller type people. Mm-hmm. So crack was introduced to the elite first. That was how she explained it to me. She was like, we all used to do cocaine like socially, like, you know, the upper echelon people. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't addictive like that. So someone came into the party and was like, hey, we got this new way of doing it. She said, and that's how it happened. She said, all it takes is one hit. She said, all it takes is one time for you to try it. 
She was like, I've never tried any drugs in my life, not one. So she was like, just I have like a little weed. I, oh yeah, I smoke. I smoke weed before, okay. but like like a drug, drug, like a drug, drug, yeah. Like how you have all these like the pills and the cocaine, the uh, molly, mushrooms yeah, and mushrooms molly. And yeah, okay. Yeah, and she explained that to me very thoroughly, and obviously I listened. Yeah, and it was offered to me exactly the way that she said. Really? That's what's strange. That is very strange. Yeah. Oh, it's your birthday. It's your 18th birthday. Take a half of a Molly, my best, best friend. Really? You know, they didn't know any better. Yeah. And the answer was like, no, I don't do drugs. So... What's the resistance to you just not wanting to say no? Because sometimes when they... There's so much peer pressure on you, especially in that moment. And everybody's like, oh, come on, Keely, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. And you're like, no, I don't do drugs. Like, what kept you so grounded outside of the mother's conversation? Seeing my mother addicted to crack mm. and seeing the outcome. See, I seen the outcome before I saw the peer pressure, if gotcha. that makes sense. Yep, yep, yep. When they would take a hit off the crack... They would just be looking at little things, rubbing on little things, shelves, and like, and they used to call it tweaking. Mm-hmm. Like, say someone is high off crack, they would be rubbing their hands all up against the door frames and looking at little little pieces. Like, you see that little black dot there, looking and seeing as though they're looking for more crack rock. And I didn't want to be that person. That's what crack does to you. Yes, sir. I heard that it's not as, we don't see as many people addicted to crack. And it was my aunt that used to be addicted to crack. She uh-huh. said that the, the crack and the cocaine is no good no more. So all the people who were addicted to crack is now addicted to heroin. Something else. Wow. Or pills or something else. They said the cocaine just isn't the same. But in the 80s, it was I, I seen it. They will be literally walking around, Jovan, like zombies. Wow. It was a sight to see. It was it was very sad. So in this moment, you're seeing, I don't want to call them crackheads. What you, is there like crack another addiction. word? Crack addictive individuals. Yeah. Um, what are you experiencing as an individual? Like you have to see this on an everyday basis. You see it in your home. You see it on the yeah. streets. You probably yeah. see it in school. Yeah. Like what are you, what's going through your mind? You know, and me and my cousin, we've had many conversations about this. So here we are. Now let's go back before my mom got married mm-hmm. and set up that scene, right? Um, it's my grandmother. It's her brother. We're all living in this home, which we thought was huge at the time. Now when I drive by it, I'm like, we all packed that spot <laughs> up? Oh, my God. So it's it's my grandmother, her brother, um, her sister, and my grandmother's four daughters. Let me count these bedrooms. One second, Jovan. One, two. Wow. That was that was technically a three-bedroom house. I just came to that realization. Three-bedroom house, and you mentioned four, five. Wait, one, two, three, four. It was a four-bedroom house. Four-bedroom house, and then you had four-bedroom home. How many people in there? You had, yeah, my grandmother, mm-hmm. my auntie Tiny, um, my great uncle Leroy, my mother, her sister Olivia, her sister um, Evelyn, 
I'm trying to avoid saying um, nicknames so y'all won't see how ghetto we were. <laughs> Give us the nicknames. It's taking me a minute to think about that government name. You want the, you, you want it? Give it to me. Okay. Pinky. That's Olivia. <laughs> so you have my auntie Pinky. That's Olivia. Um, my auntie Icky. Um, Icky is kind of a cool name. You like that? I like Icky. Icky? Yeah, yeah, Icky was a beast. And um, yeah, and then my mother, they used to call her Mo. So, and the reason her name, her nickname was Mo, it was Ugmo. They Ugg said she Mo? was an ugly baby. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Are we so cruel? Very. And my mom used to get so upset. I, I was fine. We'll call me Ugmo. Oh, we'll my God. Fighting. And my mom is pretty. She, you know, my mom, oh, my God, I was a tomboy. Uh, so my mom used to have to beat me into a dress. Like, literally, she's very pretty and mm -hmm. feminine. And, she, and when people would bring up that story, mm -hmm. she used to really, truly get upset. But, yeah, a lot of adults, but wait for it. All of their kids. So my mom God, had one. In a four-bedroom house. Yes. The kids stayed in like, um, if you go up to the second floor, you had mm -hmm. a bedroom and another bedroom. My mom had a bedroom, I guess because she was paying rent. And I guess whoever paid. Oh, my mom was the second oldest too. Mm -hmm. So the oldest daughter was married and she wasn't in the house. So I guess that was the hierarchy. I'm just guessing. I don't know. That sounds all right. But since my mom was the second oldest child, mm -hmm. she got a bedroom of her own and me. So it was me and my mom in our own room. And then if you go down the hall, it was one restroom. And then I don't know what you want to call that part, but I would say like the living room on the second floor. Mm -hmm. That's where the bunk beds were and, and two other beds. And that's where my aunt Pinky and her baby slept. And then my cousin and her mom slept in the bunk bed. But I used to want to sleep in the bunk bed with my cousin a lot. And that's where he snuck up the stairs up the back. Um, he came up the back way to the second floor. The guy. To do what? Oh, the guy. The oh. guy who was <clears throat> attempting to molest us. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Okay, okay. Wow. So you mentioned a stepdad. Yes. Where's your bio dad? Oh, my biological father died um, oh, three okay. years ago. Yeah. Three years ago from this date or three yes, years ago from 11? From this date. Okay. okay. Yeah. So, so what's this, 2022? No, my dad died. Oh, wow. Yeah, he died in 2019. So okay. 2021, 22. Wow, that went fast. Yeah, so three years ago. That's right. Okay. Yeah, so my dad... <laughs> So my dad, he was heavy into gangs in the beginning. Mm -hmm. um, he was he was my op, my opposition. He was under Larry Hoover. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah. Really? Yeah. So my biological dad, he was. You met um, Larry Hoover before? Me, no. Oh. No, no, no. Um, I think he's is he still alive? I, I think he is. Might be. Yeah, I yeah, think he's he still is. in yeah, jail. Yeah, yeah. I met his son. Let's find out. Yeah. I met his son. And a couple kids out in the Chicago streets. Let's see. Larry Hoover. Yeah, I think he still is alive. I believe so. Yeah, there's no uh, death day. Let's see. And they were trying to get him out because of whatever crime he committed. Like Six life sentences. God, yeah. yeah, he's powerful. 150 to 200 years. Wow. For a 1973 murder. 
1997, he received a life sentence. See? He's 71 years old right now. Yeah. And your dad worked under him. Not directly under him. But like, he was just part of the streets organization. Yeah. Wow. So, For what many, was that many like? years. With uh, dad being gay. My dad life. was actually absent out of my life until um, I stayed connected to my family on my mm-hmm. dad's side, right? Um, but they didn't have the issues my mom's side had. Like, it weren't the crack addicted people or anything like that. You're right. My dad was probably, now that I'm thinking about it, he probably was the only, you know, gang member mm-hmm. who was doing something crazy. Um, and, yeah, um, my dad went to jail for about five years for a murder that they couldn't prove. And um, I, I don't know, allegedly, I don't know if he did it or not. Um, and... So it's a rule, I guess, a law. I don't know if this is just a state law in Chicago that you can only hold someone for five years if you can't, like, this, this is what my father told Dude, me. That's the statute of limitations in Chicago for five years. If you can't find any evidence. Wow. And um, there were no witnesses. So they had to let him go. The longest they could hold him was five years. So around... I'm keep my thoughts in my head <laughs> because I'm thinking all types of stuff right now. Yeah. Like what? I mean, your dad's affiliated with, I don't know, I'm scared now to even say this, but your dad's affiliated with like this big gang. So, of course, it's like, I'll be, if I were connected any somehow, some way, I'd be scared to say anything. Oh, uh, no. No? Because I don't know who it is. And you're I mean, saying like the person, like they can't find any evidence. Oh, on you're saying murder. the person. The person, like, you know, any witnesses and stuff like that. I'd be scared to say anything if your dad's like they're connected that big. I think it was more so like a drug deal. I don't know what happened. Drug to be honest, like that. I don't know what happened. But what he did tell me was that, hey, they couldn't, you know, they had to let me go. Mm-hmm. So he was in jail from the time. Um, yeah, he was in jail until I was like 20. No, no, no. Oh, I want to say he got out when I was 18. He was mm-hmm. in jail from the time. Yeah, because he threatened my stepfather. I remember now. Yeah, my stepfather was not allowed to reprimand me or put his hands on me. And I'm going to skip to that part. Yeah, but yeah, I think I was like 13. Mm -hmm. And third, yep, before I went to high school. And um, he was in there until I was like 18. And he cleaned himself up. I think he got out and he got on drugs for a little bit. And then he went into rehab. And then he became happy, healthy, and whole. Mm-hmm. <laughs> By the time I was 21, yeah. it became this stand-up citizen. And I'm so happy I saw that transition mm-hmm. because he did nice work. He had a men's group with like 350-something addicted wow. people. He was very powerful. Yeah. That's a major 180. It was. It, I'm so happy he that happened. Absolutely. Right? Oh, my goodness. So, dad's out. You all start developing a more solid relationship, I'm assuming. Yeah. Okay. So, what was it like, you know, losing five years of your dad to now gaining him back? At this point, I'm pregnant. He came back when I was pregnant with my son. Hmm. So, I'm 20 years old. Um, I had a brother I did not know. And I have a stepsister, a half-sister, that he was actually with her mom over the course of 20, 25, 30 days, like since 
they were like kids, you know. Um, very crazy, right? Because my sister had a very different view of him. Mm. Very regretful and resentful because the him who he was when he was the gang leader. See, I was spared from all of that. Yeah. I had structure. I had money. Mm -hmm. I had, I mean, how he was getting the money wasn't healthy, right? Right, right. But I had things. I had this great life. And she's with him, you know, with, he used to beat her mom. And it was just the terrible side. So when he gets out and he gets his three children together, um, I'll never forget, I mean, we, he took me and my sister to meet our brother for the first time. He was 18. I was 20. Um, we go out and guess we met him in jail. Yeah, we met my brother in jail. Um, and so he was like, look, I want you guys to meet him. And I can ne I'll never forget, we were like standing in like... I guess the corridor area, I don't know what you want to call this area, but right before they let you into the visiting room and it was just like the wall was all glass mm -hmm. and you could see the table that he was sitting at. And I was like, that's him right there. And he was like, yeah, how do you know? So, oh my God, he spit an image on my father. So we met him and everything. And um, them two had a different experience and an opinion of my dad. Mm. Like they hated him. I didn't. Because me and my dad relationship, he wasn't with my mother. My dad used to just give me things and monies. Like, that's who I knew him to be. He would come around and take care of me. Because you have to remember, my memories were fond of him. Because when my mom was addicted to crack, he would come and take me shopping, give me things. So it was good time, mm, daddy yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. And have these prep talks. And he'll take me to see his family. And his family wanted to take me. And he wouldn't allow it. He was like, no, she's going to be all right. I'm not taking her from her mother and her family. Like They were like, you should let us get custody. And, you, you know. Wow. Yeah. And so they saw the abuse. And um, they were in agreement with me because me and him was so close. Mm -hmm. They wanted me to have a grudge, too. And I say, hey, he asked us to forgive him that day. And I did. I'm sorry. Yeah. I cannot be on y'all side. So now we don't have a relationship at all. That was my next question. Yeah. Wow. And it's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So <clears throat> earlier you mentioned that you were like, you know, you were having some issues in regards to uh, relationships. Yeah. Where did that come about? I... I was told, but I didn't know it at the time, right? Like, um, so um, when I was in my, I was 18 when I met my son's father, but I knew him when I was 16. Mm -hmm. um, so I knew my son's father when I was 16. And he kind of like pursued me. It was someone that I really didn't like, right? He wasn't my type. <laughs> uh, I may as well just clarify. I used to date drug dealers, right? I was in the drug world. That makes sense, yeah. So my very first boyfriend, he was like this drug dealer, big time, all of that. But how could I not? I just explained the story. Mm -hmm. So um, my son's father, he wasn't that, right? So Complete opposite? Yeah, he works. His mother <laughs> lived in the projects. You know, even though I grew up, you know, yeah. poor at the time. This, this is my 16-year-old self-judging, mm -hmm. not me judging Correct. now. I Correct. don't want people to get confused. 
but this is my thought process. Like, no car, like, you know, like, who are you? Like, how are we going to get around? And so he pursued me for, like, two years. Mm. Um, So finally, he kept asking until the wrong time became the right time. Mm -hmm. Um, Started dating him. Um, I started dating my son, so I got pregnant fairly quickly by him, yeah. So actually, I started dating him not when I was 18, when I was like 19, mm-hmm. I want to say. Yeah, I was 19. And um, perfect guy. Like, he would just, everyone in my family still to this day just think he's like, just, he was just the stuff. Yeah. He was a good a guy uh-huh. that's how he won me over like anything i ever wanted like it was just it was just so loving for mm-hmm. the first two years jovan so yep i was like going on 19 now that i now remember i had to be like 18 going into 19 and we were together for like two years before i got pregnant mm-hmm. when i got pregnant i was like hey what are we gonna do you know um he was like well we'll get a place that's when it, it started. Um, and my mom begged me to go back to college, mm-hmm. right? She was like, just go back to college. Like, you can leave the baby here with me, you know, this, that, and the other. I just want you to finish school. And I'm like, no, I'll finish school. She was like, no, if you move in with him, he's going to, you know, and she said it. I don't know if it was a curse, but you just didn't see it at the time. She was like, he's going to control you and you're not going to be able to do what you want to do. And I mm. want you to do what you want to do. How, was there an age difference? No, we were the same age. Hmm. But if you think about it, she was speaking from experience because my stepfather controlled her. Mm. And she kind of was trying to warn me, like, finish school. And then if you still want to live with him, then do it. Don't do it because you feel obligated yeah. to do it. She was saying you have options. And I did not listen. I felt like I don't want to be a burden. You know, I'm pregnant. I'm moving out of your house. That was my thought process. We move. The controlling starts. Mm -hmm. Right. Now I'm on a whole entire different side of town. I grew up on the south side of Chicago. I moved in his area, the west side of Chicago. What's the difference between south side and west side of Chicago? Very different. My grandmother explained to me that um, people who migrated from like St. Louis and Mm. Tennessee they settled in on the south side, and people from Alabama and Mississippi, they settled in on the west side. I could gotcha. be wrong. Like, I'm not a historian. Mm-hmm. This is something I'm taking from my grandmother. For sure. Yeah, and um, that that's what I'm thinking. So the environments were very different. Um, people on the west side, they rent. Like, it's a lot of renters mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And then people on the south side, they used to call themselves like more bougie. They owned properties, <laughs> but most violent, in my opinion. Really? They were more violent. And you would think so not. So you think that's where the violence stems from in south side Chicago oh now? Oh, God, yeah. Mm. Still super violent. The west side is just starting to try to get violent, like over the past few years. But the west side was very different. They, they used to be humbuggers. Like they would fight. Like you'll see 10 on 10. Like, you wouldn't see that on the south side. Somebody getting shot. God. Yeah, you'll see, like, large fights, family fights on the west side, and people just duking it out on the block. And I used to be like this with my popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> like, I like the west side. Like, ooh, ooh, look at grandma with this broomstick. Yeah. You know, and, yeah, very different culture. Mm. Very southern, like, um, when I first moved there, like, family-oriented and very, like, 
nicer like mm-hmm. um looking out for you sort of deal where like the people on the south side in my opinion they're a little colder a little bit more arrogant you mm. know like south side hey girl hey come on like come on in you go to a party on the south side like they won't speak they won't welcome you so it was sort of that deal that's gotcha. the that's my opinion okay 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 yeah wow so now you're in this control relationship when do, you, when do you start noticing that you're being controlled? Um, so I have my son. Mm-hmm. And so now it's like, oh, well, my girlfriends are having a birthday party because I had this group of girls that I hung out with from high school. We were very, very close. Very, very close. To this day, day they are still super close like that. Mm. A good six of us. We were like a very close knit of girls all went to high school together. It's crazy, but still to this day. It's like it was like a real sisterhood, right? He ripped me right from them, right? Well, I gotta correct my language because the therapist was like, he didn't do anything, just say what happened. Uh-huh. So what happened was, um, I would say like, hey, you know, my friend Nikki, you know, she's having a birthday party, you know, I'm gonna go on the weekend. He's like, oh, okay. Then that day come, and he's like, no, you're not going. Right, that's my thought. I was like, yes, I am. And that's when he hit me for the first time. Wow. Yeah. Like he slapped me. And I was like, um, you know, I fought him back, but I couldn't really like win. Mm-hmm. He didn't like used to hit me with like a closed fist. Mm-hmm. So no one ever knew he was he had a real bad habit of choking me and like roughing me up. He would choke me a lot. He wouldn't he would never, ever like hit me with a closed fist. Mm. Maybe once or twice he slapped me with an open hand. And um, I was in shock. And um, from there, you know how like, I don't know, I've heard stories about women being controlled and the men, the man will go outside. Yeah. No, he'll stay in the house with you. He would not go out with his friends. It was, it was like a real life. So he pretty much feared that you, if he left, or left you at home, what you, that you were run away or something? And I'm with a newborn baby. Mm. I was literally being stalked and controlled in my own home, and no one knew it. Like, no, because I had violent people in my family and my dad. Mind you, my dad, um, you know, when I first had my child, he's, he, you know, he's still, yeah. I had to keep all of that secret. Because I, I still to this day have, like, street people in my family. And I told them later, they was like, boy, you so lucky. Probably we would have got him, right? Oh, for sure. And so I knew that, mm-hmm. me understanding street life. He wasn't a street guy, my in son's sense, father. You, you saved his life, in a sense. Uh, yeah, I did. Yeah. And people were still, they were in such shock because he was so nice. He was so nice. He buy people gifts. He mm-hmm. bought my mom gifts. Everyone just loved him so much. And he, he was a good guy. I got clarity on it afterwards, though. What was the clarity that you got? Um... When I went to this place called Landmark, Mm -hmm. I still had issues in beef, even though I had had therapy, which diagnosed the situation with him. Mm -hmm. I don't want to skip that part because it's going to make sense. Yeah. I, I'm going to go back for a sec. So I was in a relationship with him. He controlled me, um, all my friends, crazy. I couldn't go outside. He was sitting in the house with me. Um, I, Left that relationship. 
it was still affecting me 12 years later, unbeknownst to me. That's when I first accidentally stumbled up on therapy. Mm -hmm. I was with a friend in church and she was saying, hey, I'm going to stop by the table and sign up for free therapy. I was like, okay. And the woman literally forced a board into my face. That's one of the moments I know God was there. Girl, you need this. Mm -hmm. You don't know you need it, but you need it. For sure. I was like, I don't need therapy. Like, she was like, you need therapy. I was like, I don't. And she was really pushy, the lady at the, the volunteer at the desk. I'm like, you going hard for your ministry, aren't you? I was like, I don't need the therapy. And she was like, girl, look, you're black. We all need therapy. And she looked me in my eyes and I was like, okay. And I signed the clipboard. And I said to myself, like, I'm not going to therapy. Six weeks later, they called me. And I was going through a breakup. Mm -hmm. So it was like, that's how I know God Perfect sent time. it. Yeah. I was vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And I was hurting. And I say, what the heck? Why not? I went to therapy. And that's when they told me I, was, I had a pathology. I would have relationships for two years and break up with them. Even if nothing's wrong? It was something wrong. She said I had PTSD when it came to relationships. She said, do you see the pathology? And I was like, what? She said, your son's father switched on you roughly two years. Mm. Right? She said, so a trigger word, and then he took control over you. So he took control over me. Mm -hmm. So she said, men, when they get together, they know immediately, this is my wife or yeah. this is my, I want to be with her. Mm -hmm. I, this is who I want. She said, it takes them no longer than six months. For sure. Can you agree? That's what she was saying. Like most men know immediately. Like if you're the one, they yeah, know yeah, immediately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not I, I that they're trying to, to figure it yeah. out. Right. She said, when you're the one for a man, they know immediately. And it this was true. true. They all wanted to marry me. And that was a trigger word for me. Mary. Moving in together, having another child. Mm. That's why I only have one child. Wow. She said, my idea was when it came, she said, um, we didn't, we don't process pain. I said, I thought I was free from that. Like yeah. that was 12 years ago. Mm -hmm. What do you mean? Yeah, for sure. She said, that was your first real relationship that defined True. relationships from that to day you. Forward. That if I'm with you, I'm no longer me. I'm your girl. So I can't pursue what I want in life. Mm -hmm. I'm yours, so to speak. And so I can't be yours anymore. So I had to have one foot in the door and one foot out. Right. And I worked very, very hard because I was put in a position where he was controlling me. What I found out in therapy, mentally, emotionally, and sexually, he used to rape me. But I didn't call it rape. She said, that's rape. She said, oftentimes black people, as I went through my sessions, because mm -hmm. I explained to her that my boyfriend at the time said I would jump in my sleep. Like, I'll, I'll be asleep and I would jump, jump and fight him off. Really? And she was like, were you ever molested? And I was like, no. She said, I want you to think about that for our next session. Mm -hmm. I was thinking about it. I was like, nah. And I came back to the next session and she was like, are you sure? Because sometimes we'll block it out. Absolutely. Yeah. And I went back to that moment. I said, did he molest me and I blocked it out? Yeah. Like, I'm like, what happened? <clears throat> no. She was like, I need you to think about it. She said, because she said, when we are asleep, that's when we're at our most vulnerable. Mm -hmm. So I need you to really think about that. Have you ever been 
sexually violated in any kind of ways. And I was like, oh, my God. My son's father used to force me to have sex with him twice a day. Like, every time I got in the bed, in the morning and at night. Wow. Literally. And she said, that's rape. Absolutely. And you know the funny thing? Once I figured that out, I never jumped in my sleep anymore. Isn't that funny? So it's like your body was trying to find peace, but you, the body and the brain weren't processing the two together until that moment. Is that what happened? That's what it sounds like. Okay. I'll take that because I never did it again. Like they, my ex told me I would literally fight him off in my sleep. He's like, you know how like you'll just come hug your yeah. girl? Like nothing's going on. I'm just hugging mm -hmm. you because we're cuddled yeah, we're up. Right, yeah. But if I'm in a full-fledged sleep, I will fight you off like kick and punch. And I didn't know it. I wouldn't even know it. Really? Really. So was he the first person to actually acknowledge the fact that you did this? Do you know if you did this? No, um, I had another boyfriend before him. Okay. Yeah. They told me the same thing. Mm -hmm. Especially if I had been drinking or something. <clears throat> yeah. And I was in a deep <clears throat> sleep. Yeah, I would fight you off. Wow. You're just trying to scoot up next to me or hug me or cuddle with me in my sleep. It was like, you know what, last night you were, like, kicking and punching me. Like, I just was trying to, you know, everything okay. You know, we, you know, neither one of us, like, really put that together. Yeah. I just never put the two together. Wow. Until that day. So was, let me know if this is too far to go, but was your um, child's father at the time, was he, like, I know he was forcing you to have sex, but were, like, was it, like, in the sleep? Or was he forcing you, like, out, waking you up out of sleep? Darren to have sex with you or just he um it would be forceful mm -hmm. or he'll take it while I was asleep like Got sneak it. and do it and then um if I wake up mm -hmm. he'll force me like so there was no saying no you still kind of sleep in a sense waking up or going to sleep waking up yeah. if I wake up and try to stop him it was a force mm. that's where the raping happened so today how are you feeling in this moment when it comes to like just dating I think um, I learned in that first therapy session that had to happen. Let me think how many years ago was that a good, <clears throat> this is 22, you know, the pandemic made things, I want to say five to six years ago. Okay. is when I came to that understanding and discovery, right? Got it. It's almost like I need therapy for the therapy because I then realized what I would do this is where the PTSD part came in. Mm -hmm. When men, I, we would be happy first two years. Oh, this is the best relationship ever. But I would never move in with you. Mm. You'll have your place. I'll have mine. And now it's like after a year, hey, you know, I love you. Let's get married. That was a trigger yeah. word. Yeah. Move in. Let's have a baby. Let's get married. Those were trigger words for me. And unbeknownst to me in my subconscious mind, she said, just like a war veteran, I would go on autopilot and I would sabotage the relationship. Wow. And I really did a lot of damage to those people. And she suggested, she's like, look, you get into anything serious again, I suggest you both come into therapy because they, they're going to have to know what you're, yeah. they're dealing with with sure. you. I agree. Yeah. Now, fast forward I don't know if I'm 100% healed, healed. I mean, it's, it's a it's a journey. 
Yeah. No one's like a thousand percent healed. You know, you're going to have the memory still. Yeah. You're going to have like vivid thoughts that still come to your mind from time to time. Yeah. You're going to have like, when the thing with trauma is like, you remember everything of when it happened, what it felt like, what it smelled like. Right. Those are the things you never get away from. Right. The process of healing is how to cope, how to deal with, how to live life and still feel sane. And I believe that's what your therapist is trying to help you to do is like to feel sane. Like when that two year mark comes and it's time for you to you know, exit stage left or right, this is where you come in and get some more help with the individuals. So they understand like it's not you, it's not her, it's what she's been through. Yeah, the coming together. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's probably a good thing, right? Yeah, because absolutely. I want something serious the yeah. next time, right? So mm-hmm. definitely going to have to be open to therapy, fellas. <laughs> yeah, because... So you're saying you're on the market. I am. Okay. I'm on the market. And, um, but I, I'm, I'm not dating currently right now. So you're just taking like, time. Purposely just not dating. Absolutely. I love it. Um, and because I have to figure out how I'm going to do this thing, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Because one, I don't want to hurt anyone else, and I don't want to be hurt, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So it's 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 a balancing that needs to happen. And um, I feel that I'm healed from a lot of that stuff, just from the self discovery of it all. Mm-hmm. But still, you never know. You just never know. You just never know. Like you know, it's just those words. Like you said, those words could trigger you again. The thought of it can trigger you again. You know, just everything that you said triggers you can come up again. So, you know, stick with your therapist for sure. I don't have her anymore. Why not? Yeah, she, so I started referring all these people to her <laughs> after I got this self-discovery. And then when my dad died uh-huh. and I tried to get her back, she was like, my roster's full. All your people in there. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's. One thing I can't. Yeah. Ariel got some referrals. She got a database. <laughs> yeah, I, I want to say this. I really, because I have had relationships afterwards, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I've changed as a person. Mm-hmm. But at first, me being that person that needed to protect myself, mm-hmm. I was mean. I was controlling. Mm-hmm. I had to protect myself. I did not know it. So I damaged a lot of the men I was with. Mm. And then I came back with the new discovery and tried to be this nice person. And then they tried to play me. I'm like, nah, it's a wrap. Like, I know this game, Mm -hmm. right? (laughs) So now I have to find like that nice balance. And and, and what I like about my new me Mm -hmm. is that I am happy. I am whole. I am not, I'm not heavy. I'm not fearful. You're in a good space. I'm in a good space. You look like you're in a good space, though. Right. I'm in a good space, and I'm open to being more, I am more vulnerable Mm. with men than I was in the past, which I'm starting to learn it's okay to have an open heart. Because, see, I had a closed heart at first. Mm -hmm. It's actually more beautiful to have an open heart. Absolutely. And it not work out than to have a closed heart. You Mm. know what I'm saying? missed the opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Keila, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, you're welcome. I feel great. Good. Nervousness is all gone? Yeah, it's gone. Good. That was a really dope story. Yeah. I didn't expect to get all of that. Yeah. I did. I don't know. I don't know what. I never knew what I was going to get. No. And it was a, I didn't think about the whole, the drugs, you know, your life in Chicago, <laughs> Shabazz last, all that stuff. Like, this is very dope. And 
I'm my hope is that your story sheds some light and helps some other women who may be dealing with the same exact thing. Me too. Yeah, for sure. So thank you for sharing. I'm gonna do a quick commercial real quick. <clears throat> then want you to just close it out with some words, some positive words. Let people know where they can find you and all that good stuff, okay? Okay. All right. This episode is sponsored by the Emboldened Institute. It's the only place that I know that sends out daily text messages of encouragement, hope, and affirmation. I send out messages every day, seven days a week, 365 days out of the year. We're sending you messages that's coming directly to your phone between 9 to 10 a.m. Time changes, throwing some things off, so we're going to fix that for you, though. But I'm responding to you as well. I'm giving you live, indirect coaching. So if you got an issue going on that I can help you with or I can refer you to somebody who can help you with the situation you got going on, Text me, 404-476-6780. That's 404-476-6780. Text me the word HEAL. If you want to join the Healers Club, text me the word AFFIRMATION. If you want to join the Daily Affirmations, or if you want both of them, text me both words back to back, and I got you, all right? Akila, thank you again. Close us out. You're welcome. Is this the camera? Yeah, right? Not him. Hit this one. This one. Yeah. This that one. one. That one, yeah. <laughs> 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 this is all new to me. So my name is Akila. I'm known as Akila B on um, IG. You can find me at Mrs. Cashflows, M-R-S-C-A-S-H-F-L-O-W-S. So my goal is to help a thousand people reach their personal and financial potential. So hit me up. Um, I'm free now and I'm happy. This is amazing, Jovan. Thank, Thank you. you. No problem. All right, y'all, that's another episode. We are out. Peace.